Thank you for tuning in to Tuolumne Community Baptist Church. My name's George, pastor here at the church, and it's Sunday morning. I'm always the first one here, and I'm, I try to plan it that way. It's, um, it's the way I like it. I can walk through the church and pray over all the seats, and plead the blood of Jesus over the structure, and, and really pray for edification from the Holy Spirit that he will raise me and allow me to bring another message to these precious people and to you. You know, you think, well, why do you do that? Well, because I have to. I can't do this on my own. I never went to seminary school. I'm sorry, I said it again. Seminary school. That got it. I got to quit that joke. I've been kind of flying by the seat of my pants in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I thank him for that because he will use he will use anyone that he chooses to use. And I don't want to ever take for granted the anointing he's put on my life to be able to bring you the living word of God. So I'm very careful with it. Today we're in a very interesting, in fact, has there, has there been one that hasn't been interesting? I, I don't know about you, but I'm, I love the Word of God. 1 Corinthians 14, the Apostle Paul is establishing a foundation for use of the spiritual gifts in a church service. Now you might be thinking, well, I thought you guys are a Baptist church. We are. We're not full-on Pentecostal. Not that we couldn't be if we wanted to be. But we do believe in the living word of God, all of it. We don't cut out the things that don't fit us, that don't meet our DNA of the type of church that we are. But you're probably not going to experience the full-on Pentecostal experience here at this little Baptist church. But we do believe in the manifestation and power of the Holy Spirit. So enjoy the message. It'll be coming to you here in just a few minutes. Thanks. God bless you. In this chapter, Paul is establishing a foundation for use of spiritual gifts. Remember, he is addressing the same spiritual questions the church in Corinth had about gifts of prophecy and of tongues. You got to remember, he's, he's responding in a letter. They had wrote to him and said, listen, these people are getting out of hand. Can we do this? Should we be doing that? He was responding to them. How many, just a curious show of hands, how many of you have experienced a full-on Pentecostal experience? There's a few of us. Okay. It's not going to happen here. Don't be disappointed. Unless God ordains it. You know, I, I am just saying that it's not in our DNA. But at the same time, we believe in the entirety of the Word of God. Can I get an amen? amen. I'm not going to jump over this because you don't want to hear it. Well, we don't do that in this church, Pastor. Well, you know, uh, if you've never been a part of a prophetic service, you're missing out. And I hope someday there'll be a few of you come to me and go, can we have a prophetic service at our church? And we'll set up a date and a time. And I'll say, yes. And you'll get to experience what it is to have where everybody comes together and is praying and unified together and asking for God to speak to us. 
And he does. He speaks to us through prophecy, through one another. And then we get to judge whether it's of God or not. And he's going to tell us today how to do that. How to know whether that was of God or whether it was not. Paul has recognized there is a place for both tongues and prophecy in a worship service. But is careful to stress this must be done in an orderly manner. Scholars also debate the exact situation in Corinth that gave rise to Paul's closing about husbands and their wives to act together in worship. Wives, don't get mad at me when we read 34 through 40. I'm reading the Bible. You can, you can email Paul. Send him your nasty text message. But we have to understand, and we're going to look at culturally what it means and what they were talking about, what was happening in the church that he was addressing. There's another issue that plagued the church in Corinth in this situation of Paul's letter. And the apostle addressed the believers about the problem, and I believe the problem still exists in some churches today. Paul's point is that each of us to use the gifts that we have received to serve the body as a whole, this requires humility on our part so that we can avoid the sin of pride. Really quiet in here right now. The sin of pride. God is opposed to pride and wants us to be humble. The reason for this, not because he's worried about his dignity, but because he wants us to know him. Too often things get out of control and, and sometimes in a Pentecostal situation where people just get out of control. And it could be a prideful situation. Look at me, look at how spiritual I am. You know, and, and we want, they, they're looking for the praise that God is moving in their behalf. We have to be careful. Look at the next slide. Pride puts the ground in which all the other sins grow and the parent from which all the other sins come. That was a statement by William Barclay, and I think it's very profound. Pride is that spiritual sin that happens and we have to be in much control to understand that we could be operating in pride. God wants us to be humble individuals, not trying to impress anybody and not trying to be impressed. Pride is different from the other sins. The other vices with which we struggle come the everyday working through the flesh. Pride, on the other hand, is purely, purely a spiritual sin. Consequently, it's far more subtle and destructive. Pride is often used to beat down other vices. Teachers actually appeal to our students with pride or with self-respect to make them believe decently. People can overcome cowardice and lust and ill temper by learning to think those things are beneath their dignity. When that happens, the enemy laughs. He laughs. 
yeah, of course we don't need to be rude and ill-tempered. And yes, we need to, to do that, but we're not above somebody because somebody else is. We have to be very careful with how we teach our children to act. Pride destroys our ability to love God and others, and it can destroy our chance to succeed in life. I found this story, and I thought it was really interesting. Some time ago, a young minister from Scotland approached the pulpit with a proud and arrogant spirit. When he was finished preaching, it was evident to everybody, including himself, that the sermon was less than excellent. In fact, he was sure it was a failure. When he came down from the pulpit, he was defeated in his spirit. And it was then an elderly woman who had walked with God for many years grabbed the young minister's arm and set him down and said, Son, if you had gone up the way you came down, you would have come down the way you went up. You understand the point of what she was saying? We need to approach it with a humble spirit. I come humbly before you every week, bringing you the living word of God, and I have to pray up. Believe me, I pray up before I come, because I can't do it, not without the presence and the help of the Holy Spirit. If I ever think that, oh, I got this one, look out. It's not going to work. God wants us to approach life with a sense of humility so that the power of the Holy Spirit, he can give us a sense of confidence. We have the choice. We can choose pride or we can choose love, but not both. In this section of Paul's letter, 12 through 14, he makes an inarguable case for love. We heard that last week. So let's look into 1 Corinthians 14. We'll start with verse 1. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you prophesy. Hmm, that's kind of interesting. God wants to speak to you. If you are pursuing love, you're living a life that is open to hear from God. Amen. Thank you for that, amen. But remember, God sees your heart and understands your motives. He understands. He knows when you're being prideful. He knows when you just want everybody to look at you. He knows your heart. It's a natural desire to want to be in a place where people can see the gifts and talents God has given you. And if you think that's not a natural desire, then you're kidding yourself. But it's a process that requires work and sacrifice that so many of us don't want to participate in. We just want to be recognized, and that is the spirit of pride. And it's in all of us. If you try to say, thank God, this message is not for me, I'm telling you, it's you. <laughs> I don't even have to point you out. Look at verse 2. He who speaks with a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks Mysteries. Verse 3. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. Pay attention to verse 3. He who speaks prophecies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. If God gives you a word prophetically, it has to edify, exhort, and comfort. 
That's how God works. That's how he rolls. Here, Paul gives us the purpose for prophecy in the church. Edification. Edification is building up one another. It's building up one another. The word does, is not, does a good job in tearing us down. I'm getting too excited. Edification is building up one another. The world does a good job, a good enough job tearing us down and beating us down. Can I get an amen? That's what the world does. This heaven-laden, sin-soaked world can press down upon us until we feel we're beaten up, weighed down to the ground. But this should not be so with Christians. Even though we're in the world, we're not of this world. But the world still, still pummels us and tries to wear us out. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church to encourage one another, to build one another up, just as you are doing. This is why we go to church, to see who I can lift up today. This should be our motive of why we're coming to church. It's not about you. It's about everyone else. It's about lifting up one another. That's why we go. And the Apostle Paul is going to talk about that here in, a, in just a moment and a little further down the road. But look at this scripture. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another just as you also are doing. People, this is why we come to church. Yes, we want to hear the living word of God. Yes, we want to learn and grow. But we, we got to be concerned about who else is around us, edifying one another, lifting one another up. It's important. Ephesians 4.29, it says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. Really quiet now. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that that may impart grace to the hearers. This is what we're supposed to be doing for one another. Then he has exhortation. Exhortation means to correct, to rebuke, or to fill up with courage, as the secular definition says, but it's much more than that. To exhort someone is to an urge by strong, often stirring argument, admonition, advice, or appeal, to even to urge someone to take a specific action by using strong advice or warning. few of you in here I've been doing that with and you're here I praise God for that that might not feel good to the hearers but this is to be done in love just as God disciplines every child he loves so Hebrews 12 5 and 6 and you are forgotten and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. Do you understand what the chastening of the Lord? It's a father coming after you with a belt. Well, you think, well, that's not God. No, you're a father. You're a mother. Have you ever had to chasten your kids? Yes, you have to. 
Sometimes you have to because you love them. You say, Johnny, you're not going to play in that street. You're going to get run over in that street. And he does it again. You spank them or you do what you have to do. You corral them into the backyard. You, you chasten them. And that's what God does. And if God is chastening you, you know that you are loved by God because he is after you. When you are rebuked by him, the scripture says, verse six, it says, for whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. Yeah, some of you might say, I just don't understand, God, what you're doing. I don't understand. And, and I'm here saying, God loves you. You're going through what you're going through because God loves you. He loves you and he's concerned about the decisions you're making, the directions you're going. Yeah, but this person over here, no, don't worry about that person over there. It's all about you and God. And then it must bring comfort to men. We must remember that. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works not forsaking the assemblies of ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. Do you see the day approaching? I don't think any of us could say no. I mean, we, we see things are changing rapidly around us. The world is changing. The world's a much more dangerous place than it was just a year ago. This is why we come together. We're not forsaking the fellowship because we need to be lifted up. We need to be loved by one another. You need to hug your friends. You need to hug your neighbors, the people in your church. You need to support them and love them because they need your support now more than ever. So do I. You know, you guys, you, I just talk about Jim all the time. Yeah, you and Jim are really good friends. No, Jim and I support one another. He comes directly over the church and says, brother, you got to pray. And I'll begin to pray. He says, no, you got to lay your hands on me and pray. Because it means that much. There's a presence in the touch and the feel of a prayer. And we need to be there for our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's how we get strong. That's how we get through this life. Now we're back to 1 Corinthians 14, 4. Man, all this time we've got four verses. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. But he who prophesies edifies the church. This is the main function of the Holy Spirit. I want you to realize the main function of the Holy Spirit, the edification of tongues that you speak in a spiritual language is for you. It's the only one that it edifies me when I speak in tongues right there before church during our hymnals. I am worshiping in my spiritual language, asking for power and strength to be able to do what I'm doing here today. I can't do it without him. He says it edifies you, it lifts you, and that's what the Holy Spirit is for. You know, when I was talking earlier about the full-on Pentecostal experience, when I was a kid, I'd tell you some crazy stuff in the Pentecostal church. Oh, Sister Capel, she would take off. I know she's gone home to be with the Lord, and I know the Lord loves her, but she would take off running around the church during worship going, woo, and her wig would be going, plop, plop, plop. And I, it, didn't, it didn't offend me because I grew up. She was doing it back then. And, and now I was a, a fairly young adult. I had my new wife with me, brought her. She was never raised in church. And all of a sudden, Sister Cable took off running around. And all I did is I leaned over to my wife and said, don't I have something to fasten that down? 
And she said, I can't stay here. And she got up and left because she was scared. And that's what we don't want to happen. We've all, if you've been to a Pentecostal church, not all of them are that way, but sometimes it happens that way. You go, I just don't understand. They all start doing really crazy things. It doesn't make any sense to me. And Apostle Paul is telling us, please don't do that. Please don't do that. You want to run around the church and, and sing and let your wig flap, but you come before church and do that. I'm sure the Lord will bless you, but you don't have to do that in service. There's so many things that go on that, that, that have been abused and it's scared people from the word of God and, and they run out of there thinking, I, I can't be part of that. He goes on in verse five, he said, I wished you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you prophesied for he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks in tongues unless indeed he interprets that which the church, that the church may receive edification. So what he's talking about here, obviously in their church in Corinth, there were people standing up, speaking louder and above everybody else, speaking in tongues, and nobody understood what they were saying. So somebody, the Apostle Paul is saying, must interpret what they had done. Otherwise, this pastor would come down and ask you, please don't do that unless you have an interpretation. And I would do it with much love and honor of your bravery to do that. It takes incredible courage and, and trust in God. But you also have to have incredible courage and, and open that God can speak to you because it's not edifying the church. You're freaking everybody out. You need to edify the church with what that was all about. It's fairly obvious Paul was addressing something that was going on in that church. People were speaking out loud above everyone else in their spiritual language. And he's saying not to do this unless you interpret. Verse 6, but now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, and he's not done with this, what shall it profit you unless I speak with either by revelation or by knowledge, by prophesying or by teaching? If I stood here and spoke in tongues with you for 10 minutes, you wouldn't think how brilliant I was. You would think, I wish you would get done and please tell us what you're saying. So it's important that we, it's, it's more important that we, that we prophesy and, and that we give a word from God. Even, verse 7 says, even things without life, whether a flute or a harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will you know what is played, what is piped or played? He's actually talking about instruments that they had in their day. How would you know if... if you just wouldn't know. It says in verse 8, For if a trumpet makes a, an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? We know what the battle cry is with a trumpet. So when you hear that sound, people would be, get ready. But if, if it was just some crazy random thing, nobody would know. Verse 9, So likewise, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. Verse 10. There are, and it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world, and none of them are without significance. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of a language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks, and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. 
We understand that. Verse 12, even so, since you are so are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you speak to excel. Let it be. When, when, when my friend Christy, when you, when you give me a word, I really feel God is, that is so precious, that is so powerful, that is from God, because it's always exhorting, it's always lifting, it's always showing that God is moving in our midst. And it's important, and when you feel a word coming, come talk to me. Share what God is speaking to you. Don't be afraid, share it. Verse 12, even so, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification. I think I already read that. Verse 13, let it be him who speaks in a tongue, pray that he may interpret. Yes, amen. Verse 14, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. Verse 15, for what is the consolation then? I will pray in a spirit and I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing in a spirit and I will also sing with my understanding. That was the thing that I remember my mother being so precious to me. She used to sing in the spirit. Do you guys remember a few that were at the old church that she got stood up and sang a song in the spirit? It was a song with, she said, I'll sing it to you with the words and then I'm going to sing it to you in, in the spiritual language. And it was the most beautiful thing. And I, mom, I wish you could come down and show us that again today. It is so important that we have these gifts and be able to use them in an appropriate manner. Verse 16, otherwise, if you bless with the spirit, how will he who occupies the place be informed say amen? There you go. At your giving thanks, since he does not understand what you say. For you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. I believe it's safe to say that things need to be done in an orderly manner in church. I believe that God is a God of order. If anyone comes and does not understand what they are doing, he leaves confused. We, we have missed the mark. New peepers, new people, unbelievers, anyone who comes in here should always be lifted up and feel the love we share, not confusion. That's why I even go through the extra few minutes to explain what we're doing with this communion service. And if you want to partake, if you don't want to partake, but I do not want you to leave here confused. Because if you do, then I've, I've totally missed the mark. Verse 18, I thank my God. I speak with tongues more than you all. Yes, amen. Verse 19, yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. I think that's pretty clear, the apostle. Verse 20, brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice be babies, but in understanding, be mature. Do I need to explain that to you? You sure? All right. Let's grow up and let's be mature in understanding. He says in verse 21, in the law it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people. And yet for all that, they will hear me, says the Lord. 
Did I, will not hear. Did I read it wrong? Thank you for correcting me. Do I need to do it again? Okay. Men with other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people, and yet for all that they will not hear me, says the Lord. Thank you for the correction. Verse 22, therefore tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophesying is not for the unbelievers, but for those who believe. Man, we should be able to get that. Verse 23, therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you are out of your mind? Yeah, I've been there. I've been there. I mean, unfortunately, it was a terrible thing that I thought it was kind of funny what Sister Capel was doing, but for my wife, it it freaked her out. It wasn't the wife I have today. It's the wife that went home to be with the Lord. It it just frightened her. She said, if you ever take me to church again, don't take me back there. All right, we can get the lady a strap or something to put on her. She said, no, it's it's not the point. What scripture are we on? 24, but if all prophesy and all and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convicted by all, he is, con- he is convinced by all, he is convicted by all. You need to understand what he's saying there. If all people, if we're prophesying and lifting one another up, and saying the Lord needs or is doing this in you, he is, he is convinced that all, that can only be from God. How would they possibly know what I'm going through? And yet he was speaking exactly what I'm going through. That's what a prophecy service is all about. And it's a beautiful thing. And verse 25, it says, Us, the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you because you prophesied in a language he could understand. That's what church is about. And and if you guys want, we can put together a prophecy service that had nothing to do with the Sunday service. It'd be a different time where we're praying and seeking God for a word from God. And then we begin to share with one another. Men, I don't know if you remember when I first took the church over as your pastor. Remember I did the foot washing service? I sat you guys down in front of here and I began to wash your feet and I began to speak prophetic words over each and every one of you. Do you remember that, Marvin? It was a prophetic service. That's what it was about. And wasn't that good? That was uplifting. It was, there were no strangers walking in. There was nobody leaving confused. We were doing it appropriately. It was an amazing time. And I'd love to do it again. It's important that we understand the living word of God. It's not something we need to be scared of. He says in verse 26, How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together... Each has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, and has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. If you, if you have one of those services, it's up to the pastor. It's up to the leaders of the church to make sure that people are using, following this guideline, that things that are appropriate, because God does want to speak to us and through one another, He wants to be able to tell us 
what's going on in our lives, things that nobody else knows. This is how God, this is how he works. Verse 27, if anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or at the most three, each in turn, let one interpret. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. I don't think the Apostle Paul can get any clearer of what is supposed to be going on in church. He says, verse 29, let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. We're allowed to judge. To listen to what this has said and we can determine whether that was from God or not. Was it edifying? Did it lift people? Did it encourage people? Was it, was it love? Verse 30, but if anyone is revealed, but if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. Verse 31, for all can prophesy one by one that all may learn, that all may be encouraged. That's what the spirit, the works of the spirit is for. And all spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. What does that mean? People, you're allowed to judge and think, yeah, that was a word from God without a doubt. Nobody knew what was going on with this child and somebody spoke that directly into his life. That most definitely was from God. We can judge that. Verse 33, for God is not the author of confusion, but of peace as in all the churches of the saints. I don't care whether you go to a Methodist church, a Pentecostal church, a Baptist church. I don't care. I don't care. It's Jesus Christ is over the head of this church. It's the name over the door. And we do things in order and we listen to the living word of God. And you feel like God is speaking something to you, then come speak to me. Verse 35, did I already read that? No. If, if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands. Did I skip one? What did I skip? 34. Let all women... <laughs> I think the Holy Spirit was trying to help me there. I think the Holy Spirit was trying to help me. Let me go back to 34. I didn't realize I skipped it. Let... Let your women keep silent in churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are be to be submissive, as the law also says. You got to understand where they were at culturally. We, we've been through this. We've been talking about the church hanging on for me. Huh? <laughs> Don't let your wife go. Don't run. They were having a real problem in the church because they were that what was happening, they were in a culture, a Greek culture that had all these foreign gods and they were worshiping these other gods and, they, and the women had freedom to do crazy things you don't want to talk about in the other churches. Now they've gotten saved. They come into this church and they think they have the freedom to talk over loud to everybody else and the Apostle Paul is trying to settle them down. Ladies, mind your husbands. You want to you learn something, you want to know something, go home and talk to your husband. Don't be blurting it out in the church and, and confusing everybody. 
It was a culture problem that he was having. Now, am I saying that women should not be allowed to... Well, if that were the case, then, Christy, you could never say another word in church. But you know that I don't feel that way, and I know the gifts of the Holy Spirit that work in his people. And we're not in a Greek culture anymore. So it's one of those things that I think is really more of a culture thing. I can't because it's going to... Go ahead. What if you don't have a husband? Then you have to speak to God, right? There you go. All right. Here's a Bridgeway Bible commentary. Man, I haven't got much time. All the meetings at the Corinth church and the Corinthians came prepared to take part in the service in a variety of ways. The guiding rule was that everything was to be spiritually helpful, but confusion arose between several spoke in different tongues at the same time, and often there were no interpreters. Paul says that if no interpreter is present, they must keep quiet. Even if the interpreter is present, they must speak in turn. You see, there was so much confusion going on. He was trying to, to settle this, this mess down. Similar instructions are given to prophets. They must restrict their participation to two or three, and the hearers must examine what is said and not accept it blindly. The prophets must keep control over themselves to make sure that everything is orderly and of value to the hearers. And that's when I'm going to let go of the rest of that. Verse 36. Or did the word of God come originally from you? Or was it that it reached? Or was it you only that it reached? Let me read that over again because I made a mess of it. Or did the word of God come originally from you? The answer is no. Or was it you only that that it reached? Obviously, no. If anyone thinks of himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are commandments of the Lord. It's kind of a test. I'm giving you this and you may not like it. If you don't want to accept it, then basically you can get up and leave. Is what he's saying. That's what, you know, you need to see that it's the commandments of God in which I'm giving you. You know, with my precious kids that I'm, I'm counseling with, with their marriages. Guys, if you don't want to hear me, why do you want to waste my time? Isn't that, isn't that, that's kind of what he's saying. And that's what I say to them. If you're willing to hear, I'm willing to pour. But if you're not going to accept it, man, I got other things I could do. And you know what? I love my kids. They all accept it. It says in verse 38, did I skip one? Okay, verse 38, but if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. I believe he is saying, let him be ignorant in silence. Verse 39, therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak with tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. Can I get an amen? amen? That's what church is supposed to be about. We're supposed to be lifting one another up and encouraging one another and learning the living word of God and not getting angry, not getting your, you know, ladies, I'm sorry that that's what it said, but keep quiet and go home and talk to your husbands. I'm so blessed that my wife is so submissive.
I had a wife that wasn't. She would tell you what she thought about that scripture. Few of us remember her. God bless her. She's in heaven today. Tony, would you come back? You may. Um, I think what our pastor just did deserves a round of applause. The fear. <laughs> Whether you agree with him or not, the amount of fear that it took to overcome that and actually speak those words was very brave. And um, so I don't want him going home and being tormented by the fact that he may. Because a lot of times when we stand up here, we, we end up with spiritual repercussion after we're done. And all he did was speak the word of God. That's all we did. He didn't make anything up. I mean, it's just what it says. But a lot of times after we stand up here, we second-guess ourselves. And I think it's really important at this point that we, he realizes that we support him. And so, um, anyway, I just hope we're both blessed. Thank you, Tony. That does, that does help. And, and I do, I pray over these things, and I say, oh, dear Lord, really? But you know what? We're not going to skip over. That's why he has me doing a verse-by-verse. Because he knows I would skip. Jump right over that. It's kind of not important, but it's important that we don't miss any of the living word of God. Amen? It really is important. 